Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Paul and producer Dave, your boy PD. And today we're going to be covering Disney Plus's juggernaut show, The Mandalorian. This is going to be season three, episode two, also known as chapter 18, entitled the minds of mandalore and before we dive into the episode i do want to reroute you over to bingetowntv.com that has our full catalog of all the shows that we've covered we've done the boys of course the mandalorian march is a big month for us we have yellow jackets coming up shadow and bone we've done a lot of stuff over 300 episodes go over to bingetowntv.com and check it out uh and the easiest way to support the podcast of course is to hit subscribe follow whatever it may be however you are listening right now so with the laundry list items out of the way we can talk about this episode and i thought it was a really 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 good episode Honestly, all I want to say is that our fears that they wouldn't be progressing the overarching story have been quelled. It is episode two. We are deep into the minds of Mandalore. Literally, this episode's called The Minds of Mandalore. And I think seeing the home planet of Mandalore definitely delivered for me. This was one of my favorite episodes almost all time of the Mandalorian. I'm going to say this was a phenomenal episode. I saw it was a little bit longer on the 45 minute side. And I was like, this better be a fucking banger. And it delivered. I mean, I honestly didn't expect to see Bo-Katan so soon. Um, Loved seeing her and everything that she was doing this episode, certainly kicking some fucking ass. And I agree complete with you, B. Toms. That was one of my top notes was I'm so happy that we didn't spend the whole season just trying to get to the minds of Mandalore. It was literally the next episode, which I don't think I would have ever guessed coming from this show based on the previous seasons. But my only other comment is Mando took some L's this episode. He kind of he got his ass kicked a little bit this episode, but otherwise phenomenal episode. This was definitely an all timer for me. Sometimes you just need a little help from your friends. But uh, yeah, yeah, Paul, what are you thinking about this episode? Um, I'm thinking about how I'm completely eating my words because end of last app, I was like, yeah, we probably won't get to Mandalore for like probably like three, maybe four yep. apps. And I literally said this season could be called like the Minds of Mandalore because I thought that was like the end goal. <laughs> Next episode, they're there within like the first like 15 minutes. So I was completely wrong. I definitely loved it, though, because not only, like you said, Brian, we're progressing the story at a at a really cool pace. We also, like they said, had one of the best episodes of the series. I think Absolutely. this was so good. Seeing Mandalore, 
even not knowing anything about it was still just so cool and almost gave me goosebumps. And I'm sure somebody with the knowledge of, of Clone Wars and seeing Bo-Katan earlier, I mean, all of this is probably like, that's so cool. Um, even, even the creatures that were there, I don't know anything about them, but I was like, they're tight. Um, so <laughs> we didn't only get an awesome action episode i think we actually got some like real plot progression too here um in regards to maybe whether or not mando is like gonna lose his faith or bo katan is like oh shit there might be some truth to it like i could see it going both ways so oh yeah i, I think this was huge and there's some other big moments in it too um and okay the last thing i'll say because it's just a small thing but there was a transition from scene to scene where it was the horizontal i'm sorry the vertical line moving horizontally across the screen from left to right and changing the scene and i was like that's exactly what they did like like back in the original trilogy like i was talking when we were covering season two we were talking about how you know bill bear's talking to a mic that looked exactly like the mic that Han Solo was talking into when he was like trying to release Leia. And I was like, that's what makes the show yeah. so good. They continue to do it nonstop. It's so amazing. Uh, I, I like, I never want it to end. And uh, this show just keeps getting better and better. It's just the consistency of that little Star Wars flair, that Star Wars magic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, this show is the epitome, the embodiment of it. Uh, yeah, this great episode of a great show. And yeah. We're only in episode two, guys, so a lot more uh, awaits us. All right, so with our just initial takes of the episode out of the way, why don't we just dive into this thing? And we start off in a familiar setting, the city of Moss Eisley, with a familiar face, lover or hater. We got Peli Motto back <laughs> in the series. And for me personally, I, I love her at this point. I love seeing her. I love the in interactions that she has with Grogu. She brings out a lighter side to Mando. I, I just love seeing her on the screen. And we leave with a new Astromech. So very successful trip. Thoughts? I, I love her now. I mean, in the <laughs> beginning, I was so up in the air about her. But the more she's around, like, she is so funny. Um, I mean, she's kind of all about scamming, too. And, and which yeah. is like, you know, maybe she's not the greatest. But, like, she's just trying to make a living and get by in, in a town full of scoundrels. So I, I'm starting to love her, and I love the bond that her and Grogu have. I mean, he literally flips out of that uh, N1 just to hug her. And one, loved the front flip, you know, force front flip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how Yoda taught Luke to do it, right? Yeah. Run through the woods and front flip, and that's how Luke taught you, uh, Grogu <laughs> to do it. Um, and two, I mean, the fact that Grogu likes Pelimato makes me like her more. So. Absolutely. For sure. Not much else to go off of on that other than, yeah, it was. she's an OG. She's a day one. And of course, when Din needs a droid part of who else is going to go to other than Pelly. So great seeing her back on the screen. Exactly. Blown away, though. I'm actually blown away that they didn't get IG-11 and now they have R4-D4 in here. I was talking <laughs> R5-D4. I'm sorry. My yeah. bad. It's not all <laughs> double same digit like R2. Yeah, but um, I was another another line that I just had to eat my words after last recording. I was like, they're going to bring him back. There's no way they bring Taiko Atiti back just for one a couple lines of error. And then all of a sudden, he's chilling with R5-D4. I feel like they've made it a point to be like, oh, this part is undiscoverable. So I feel like 
sometime on their adventures, they're going to come across this specific part. And then they're going to be like, yeah, we got the part. Let's hit up IG-11, whatever. But we did have a good interaction with the Jawas. First off, she was scamming this Rodian. Shout out Greedo from the OG series. <laughs> but she was scamming this Rodian with the Jawas. They would just steal people's parts and she would like sell them the fixed job and she's in on it with the Jawas. So I kind of like that. She's working with them. Um, they've actually really fleshed out the Jawas as a species too, from like just these desert dwelling trash pickers to, to be fair, still desert dwelling <laughs> trash pickers, but like with a little bit more personality and they're kind of comical. So yeah. I, I love this whole interaction. This R5 droid, they're painting the picture. He's a little bit of a scaredy cat. She does reference, uh, that this R5 droid served in the rebellion by chance. Do either of you guys recognize this R5 droid? I want to say Pretty I recognize part. him and, and it's freaking pissing me off because wasn't he on the back of the ship? Like what? I don't know what that's called, but never mind. I'm going to guess wrong. It sounds stupid. The so Jawa you, ship? Uh, was he? Oh, okay. so. Oh, he Uncle was. Luke. Yes. Uncle Luke. Uh, Uncle, well, I'm no, sorry, Uncle, Luke, Owen. Uncle Owen. Uncle oh. Owen. Go to the Sandcrawler oh. all the way back in the New yeah. Hope looking for a droid. They want C-3PO and they start walking away with this R5 droid, nice. but it malfunctions and they end up with R2-D2, thereby starting the events of the series. Coincidentally, uh. I looked into the lore and while they were just beeping, I believe it is canon that R2-D2 had a discussion with R5 and said, yo, dude. Because R5 had been there for years. He's like, I'm in prison here. Like the Jawas have me. I want to get sold. I want a new master. Mm. R2-D2 was just like, I have a galaxy-defining mission. You need to make sure I'm the one that gets sold. He pushes back. But when push comes to shove, he purposefully malfunctioned himself so that R2-D2 could carry out his rebellion mission. Look at R5's Wikipedia page. Amongst those beeps, there was a conversation. No, this has always been canon from back I... in the day. So fucking love this show it's also awesome. like, unbelievable that is it's, so cool i mean and it makes sense too so uh because i was reading that and by reading i mean watching a video i don't know why course. i tried to sound smart naturally uh, that peter mayhew the guy who played chewbacca i believe he was actually like a bit scottish and when he would i'm sorry maybe he's british and just cockney accent you anyway <laughs> i am just showing my non-culture side anyway he would say his lines in english to give you know han solo which i can't think of his name either and i'm just pissing a million harrison people ford. harrison ford jesus christ he would <laughs> he would speak english so Harrison Ford like would have the cues to actually go back and forth. So mm. like when you actually listen to the raw footage, like he's he's literally having a conversation back and forth from the top of the Millennium Falcon. And mm -hmm. it's crazy. So that being said, I wonder if there was something completely similar with R2 because the operator, I mean, there was an operator yeah. back, back in there in the day. I'm sure he would say something along the lines to give you know, Mark Hamill, the cue to speak back. So I believe uh, it. That's so cool that they actually have like the script written down. It's great too that they also uh, reference Boonta Eve or whatever, uh, Pelly, yeah. which is also a reference to, I think that was the Phantom Menace. That's the, the pod racing. Basically, the pod racing event is a celebration of 
Punta Eve. So there you go. Somewhere out in the galaxy, they're having a pod racing event right now. Well, before we even zoom into her workshop or whatever, we enter with a pod race going through the streets. Oh, so there, there you, you go. go. It's all, I, it's all connected. I thought that's what that was. I believe that those weren't sure. pods. Those look more like uh, Luke's desert speeder from like yeah. a new hope, like not the racing pod, mm-hmm. though I digress. It was there. They gave us that. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not think we were going to talk about this <laughs> scene specifically for that long, but here we are. Just goes to show how good this show is. Um, But yeah, so Pelly sends the newly formed trio on their way and there is no in between one scene. They're there. The next scene, they are in space around Mandalore. And this is just another cute little teaching moment about how Mandalorians have to be navigators. He's like, hey, I've never been to Mandalore either. That's our planet. I was born on the moon of uh, Cordova, was it? Yeah, something like that. I'm sorry, not Cordova, Concordia. Excuse me. Concordia. Uh, so, but, yes, that's where he was born and raised on Concordia. And then the other planet, Kalevala, is also in the system. It's a nice reminder that he wasn't from Mandalore because this these things just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you forget. It seems so simple. But, you know, when he mentioned it, I was like, oh, my God, you're totally right. Like, he's never been here before. Like, he talks because he talks about Mandalore so much and, you know, it being the pride of what he stands for and he follows the creed and everything. And it's just crazy to think that he's actually never been here. So for, even for him, yeah. not even just bathing in the waters, I'm sure just stepping foot on the planet is just a huge honor for him. So, yeah, they descend through the atmosphere, just trying to see what's up with this planet. And it is very, very stormy. But once they break through, it's relatively clear skies. And they do see this just decimated city. I assume kind of the whole structure we see above the surface and underground is the city of Sundari, which was Mandalore's capital city. I think the wreckage throughout this whole uh, episode looked fantastic. Uh, I don't know how much you can talk up wreckage, but I think Mm -hmm. just... Everything about it looked great. Uh, And yeah, kind of a funny scene where he's like pushing R5 out to take this air sample. And we're getting a little bit of the personality behind R5. He's a little bit of a scaredy cat, if you will. Um, I I really love how Star Wars, ever since like the OG trilogy, has humanized the droids. Me and my roommate were talking about it. Like some of them are just like pets, honestly. Like how you would talk to your dog or cat. Like, it's like, oh, R2, get out of here, you little scamp. I don't know. I just love the droids. Of course, Din yeah. doesn't give any craps about if he's a scaredy cat or not. He's making he's making that oh, droid yeah. do everything. Uh, so, yeah, they're watching R5 on the scope until he disappears. And Mando begrudgingly is like, oh, this is what I wanted to avoid. He pressurizes his helmet and then he dips out um, and he kind of goes through this cave. And immediately when he gets you know, to the entrance of the cave, he's attacked by some of the natives. We fought, we got a name for them later. I actually can't see it in my notes. I'm going to be honest. I was a little scared this episode. This was like a little bit of a <laughs> horror episode. Watching this a little late at night in my bed was, uh, it got me, got my heart racing a little bit. There were some pop-ups. I feel like, like straight up just pop-ups of that. I wasn't expecting and actually got yeah. a little like jump out of. And it's great too, because it totally sets the tone. I mean, we're not sure what if this planet's even livable, let alone if anything's still on it. So mm-hmm. it's almost venturing back into the unknown and having these jump scares. It, like it, it really does, you know, give the scenes more attention. Um, even though we're like, you know, our boy Din, he's he's unbeatable. Like he's going to be fine. <laughs> there was still an element of, you know, maybe he's not going to be okay because it got pretty hairy pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, this episode proved that he is certainly beatable, but killable is still up in the air. 
I do want to point out that Grogu seemed very concerned for R5 immediately when he left the ship. And I don't know if that's a concern for the droid specifically, like he kind of fucks with R5, or if that's just a general concern. I think this cave is ominous, though I digress. I wanted to note it. It might be a combination of both. I feel like Grogu yeah. like cares for other beings, not just himself. Like even though that seems so ridiculous to say because he doesn't really talk and he's yeah. just like a, a child esque, you know, figure. But I feel like he does, you know, somewhat care. And he probably was worried also that it was a little bit sketchy. His yeah. his force senses were probably tingling a little bit. Of course. Now, correct me if I'm right. We didn't see the dark saber in a fight last episode, did we? No. So, Dave, this would be the first time in a while you've seen him in combat with the Darksaber. Anything of note that you could see? Besides the fact that Bo-Katan is like way better at wielding it than he is. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the, the reason main I'm, thing. The reason I'm pointing this out is I think they only established in the Book of Boba that the sword really wasn't cooperating with him, for lack of a better term. It seemed like very heavy in his hand and like resisted his movements to counter okay. that with how Bo-Katan handled it. And we'll talk about that later. So but that makes it very even different. deep. Yeah. That makes it an even deeper conversation for later on, because I did have some notes about that. Oh yeah. Later on. Interesting. Yeah. So this was great because I saw an interview with uh, Kevin Foggy and John Favreau, right? They were talking about the end of Book of Boba when we saw Mando fight with the saber and they were talking about how the the dark saber was created because when they were working with George Lucas on the Clone Wars, they created this, um, I think they called it like a vibration saber or something like that. And it wasn't technically a lightsaber. And George Lucas was like, "Mm, I don't think we should have anything that should rival a, a lightsaber, right? So maybe we take a different type of lightsaber. So they made the dark saber and then they went on to talk about, you know, we saw Mando fight with it and we, we talked about how it was heavy yeah. and, uh, and, and we see some back in, in clone wars, I think they had some fights with it and we, you see that it doesn't always have to be heavy. So maybe the more lighter it is, the more, the more deserving that wielder is to have it or something like that. It's probably like a King Arthur thing in a sense where, you know, those not worthy, like a Thor's hammer, you know, those not worthy are going to struggle with it, whereas those who are worthy will be able to wield it a lot easier. Well, do we think it is influenced at all by training? Like, could Mando just put his nose to the grindstone and get better, do you two think? It seems like the way they've talked about it in the past makes me think that, like, it's, you know the wand chooses the wizard kind of thing here, you know, but there also is the element that it has to be one in combat. So in a way the combatant chooses the sword. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's complex, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole other story too. Um, because we haven't gotten to that scene yet, but I'm like, Mm. is Bo-Katan the owner of the dark saber after this episode? Yeah. It's just like, especially, (sighs) We got to get there. We got to get there because there's so yeah. much to talk okay, about. We'll, in that scene. we'll get there and then we'll break it down. Yeah. So Mando, I call I interchangeably call him Mando or Din based yeah. on I, if I have <laughs> to say the word Mandalorian elsewhere well, in the sentence. Yes. So Mando, Grief Karga calls him Mando, I'm pretty sure. So I'm like, that, it's his fault. He's the yeah. one that's getting us to, yeah, to it's say Grief's it. fault. 
Anyway, R5 and Mando return to the ship. They run the air sample. Turns out that the air is, in fact, breathable. Whoa, Mandalore isn't cursed. Bo-Katan was right. Uh, Come on now. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, Mando then looks at Grogu and asks, are you ready for an adventure? And Grogu, along with the entire worldwide audience, says, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm ready for an adventure. And we descend into the city of Sundari. Um, And then once they get down there, he says, hey, I guess we're all by ourselves. And they descend even deeper down to the mine. And this is when we just start kind of navigating through the wreckage. We see some of the flying crocodile creatures stirring in the background. Um, And then he just kind of sees this old Mandalorian helmet in the dust, in the rubble, whatever. And then while he's observing it, bang, he gets snatched up by this mech. And Dave, you wanted to talk about how this episode was scary. I think everything about this entity was scary. I was Mm -hmm. getting vibes of General Grievous the entire time, kind of like an alien cyborg Frankenstein put together thing. It's very like creepy crawly like he could have been, but like, yeah, terrifying. Do you remember Skulker from Danny Phantom? That one. Uh, no, Skulker, <laughs> Skulker's like a giant robot, or not giant robot, but like he's a cyborg ghost, if you want to call it that. But the real version of him is like a little ghost that is trapped in like the the cyborg body. So that's what I was kind of thinking of. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It was like General Grievous, the way that its head, I guess, had the 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 being inside of it, and yeah. that was what crawled around to different suits, which was really sick too. I guess yeah. it had a suit for different purposes, but absolutely yeah. terrified here, definitely. I was um I was getting those little guys from the first Men in Black that operate okay. the, the human suits. That's, that, yeah, those, yeah, yeah, yeah. those two, yeah, those two. Uh, and it's so cool. Exactly what I was feeling. There's something about having a mechanical body, but that human esque, not even human, because you know General Grievous that was more like a cat's eye. Just having like a biological eye yeah. in there is it gives it its whole different feel of terror and. I was definitely feeling that. I was like, that eye is freaking me the fuck out. I can't imagine being fucking Mando right now. Yeah, I I, I was laying in bed and I was I was a little shitting <laughs> myself. Kind of, it was like dark. All the lights were off. I was like, all right, this will be a nice, like, easy before bed watch. And I was wrong. <laughs> I do like to see this show and kind of the Star Wars canon as a whole start to toe that line between adult and family friendly content. I think mm-hmm. this was an objectively scary creature that would probably frighten a small child if i'm not gonna lie it was creepy it was unpleasant um and it provided the perfect threat for mando in this episode like we said at the beginning he got taken for a ride honestly he was the one incapacitated and his life was in grogu and to an extent bo-katan's hand so progressing with this scene grogu follows the alien back to the lair whatever mando is trapped he tries to open him up with the force makes a loud sound and din just says go get bo katan because he knows that's probably the one person in the galaxy that could help him at this point who knows mandalore enough to like go through and pinpoint him so that's all he has to say and if you want to say this is the episode of mando finally got taken advantage of whatever got incapacitated this is also the first episode where we get to see grogu as a capable sidekick Tie it with, to tie it with our Last of Us coverage, I mean, this week we got a great Ellie 
for sure. progression episode and the same thing with grogu you know being able to be on his own fly a, a, a spaceship i mean with r5 r5 d4 um very capable i mean this was great from grogu just showing that he's not only capable of just using the force he's not just a you know something that can just only use the force he actually can you know be of help to din so love to see it for grogu here so yeah this isn't the first time we saw mando get wrecked it was the whole mudhorn incident right and his uh, whole sigil so again grogu saves him um this time grogu escaping and just and riding that little basket like like a go-kart yeah oh my god it was great (laughs) i fucking i fucking live for it Um, and the the backflips i live for all the backflips that we get from grogu and i was thinking i was like why are you taking him down there after you just got attacked like isn't it pretty dangerous and i'm like it's pretty dangerous. You probably wouldn't want Groby down there with you for backup, just Absolutely. in case. So I was, I was a little concerned. I was like, "That's not exactly the best dad move." But I'm like, Groby's like fifty something years old. Like he's old well, enough to handle himself. I'll tell you what, he is trying to raise Grogu as a Mandalorian. This would be a religious pilgrimage in a way for Grogu. He says at the beginning when they're in space, you know, I've never been here either. This is going to be both of our first experience on Mandalore. So, of course, he would take him along. Plus, Pedro, Pas- Pedro Pascal is a busy father right now. He got his yeah. hands full with Grogu and, and Ellie. But yeah, Paul, you're absolutely right. The pod crate chase i love that whole scene as he's just like fleeing the <laughs> the mines uh but he gets in the n1 starfighter and just like points behind him towards the astromech on the dash and shall we say if r5 was not here grogu would have been screwed hands down oh yeah dead in the water no way off this planet r5 to the rescue gets him to kavala kalavala whatever i'm never going to remember the name of that planet but bokatan <laughs> is ready to rip Dinjarin's head off like I told you to get the hell out of here and never come back and right when she sees Grogu poke his uh head out of the cockpit nobody can say no to him yep. ever we've but not mentioned only it before that, on the podcast and it still holds up but not only that he's like a rallying cry to anybody who is like downtrodden like when they see him and it, he's in trouble ride or die instantly you will drop everything and oh, go yeah. to Grogu. Grief, it's the best. Grief Ooh. did it in season two, I think it was. So yeah, Kelly Motto ready. did it at the end of Book of Both that she got in the uh, speeder and drove Grogu all the way to Dave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and to uh, elaborate on just how good they are and making this little puppet show emotions, I was watching Pedro Pascal. He was just on uh, First We Feast on Hot Ones. And oh, was he? he? Nice. Yeah. Oh, and he I got to check it out. It's pretty great. He's he's so funny. Just his he's natural. Man. I love he's him. so no wonder he's famous. It's so hard to hate him. <laughs> um, but he was asked a question, like, how is it to work with this animatronic thing? And he's like, Well, you know, from breaking it down, there's two types of puppets. There's the one that's completely like a robot, no cords, and you can just kind of hold it. But when you're doing the close-up scenes, it's like a whole other thing with two different operators, one to like do like the eyelids and the ears and everything um and he he went on to say you know you know people ask me like you know pedro how are you so good at acting and showing emotion against like this little puppet and he's like dude this little puppet's making me cry like it looks (laughs) so real and absolutely the body language coming off of it for like a robot is unbelievable so yeah i mean oh my god so good do you know what that reminds me of is Gregory, the horse from the Sandman. They did the CGI 
Oh do you remember oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. what was he a hippogriff or a hippogriff i think or something like something along those no, lines he was You're a right. gargoyle wasn't he yes yeah. that's what he was but they made him the cutest thing and i will leave it at that because i can't revisit that ever again <laughs> <laughs> yeah moving along with this scene bo katan's ship is undefeated for what it's worth the oh. n1 starfighter is cool but bo katan's ship is so badass <laughs> yeah it's an awesome ship i was thinking the same thing when it was taking off i was like this ship is probably the one that i would be one to one to rock absolutely but yeah they arrive on mandalore and kind of bo katan is even like listen kid i know you're like an adorable kid but I- i'm gonna need you to guide me here um and they kind of just descend and this is a good kind of lore building opportunity she dropped some quotes you know the planet didn't always look like this. This was once a beautiful civilization. My family ruled it all. Now it's a tomb. So did we know that bo was royalty prior to this episode? We, I believe we did because we talked about like, this is her right. Her bloodline um, is the reason yeah. that she's, she's going to this. She should be the rightful ruler. So I believe, or at least in my head, I had it that she was basically royalty. She, you know, she was head mm-hmm. honcho. I think it was uh, implied. Yeah. And, and real quickly, I know you touched on the wreckage of Mandalore or earlier as they're going through this, like abandoned city. But just it is so good. Like you said, how how good can you make a, a destroyed abandoned city? Yeah. But the way they built it, like you can tell that they just they were flourishing there. They didn't just live there. There was an abundant amount of them. And they lived, you know, a pretty crazy life when you look at how high some of that building was like it, it, it was insane. So it really could- puts it in perspective. They show a bustling city of Sundari back in the Clone Wars animated series. And one, the wreckage looked consistent with how the city was portrayed then, which was very impressive. Uh, but two, as like someone who saw that, yeah, the Mandalorians used to be thriving, man. Um, though the, one I thing I, the one thing I wanted to say here is that it's just interesting. Again, I think I was briefly talked about it earlier, but just how both Din and Bo-Katan kind of refer to Mandalore. Like you never really hear... I feel like Din ever talk about Mandalore, the place itself. Again, he's always talking about it as a culture, and it's this is the way, you know, being a Mandalore, this is the way. It's my creed. It's what it's a lifestyle for him. Whereas Bo Katan, whenever she talks about it or being a Mandalorian, it's more so about it's more so in a way that's ruling or dominant. Like she wants to take over this place rather than yeah. talking anything about it as a heritage or cultural lifestyle i just this scene made me really think about how different it is for both of them but it plays into again probably what we're going to discuss later on with the whole fight scene so definitely um another quote that she says is just reminding us that she did in fact used to know a few jedi of her own um and back in the day mandalorians and jedi used to get along well and they even fought together this is of course referencing way back in the clone wars um and then she asks how good are you at the force i bet you're pretty good if you made it to me um which is interesting because not a lot of people are familiar with the force and have seen it up close and personal she's been around long enough that she knows exactly what the force is and what it can do. She's seen fully fledged Jedi masters wield it. So she's probably pretty interested to meet Grogu. But yeah, then there's this fight scene. Bo-Katan's a great fighter. I love her dual pistols, but she takes out like a group of four of the natives. She says the natives are called Alamites. Oh, if they were able to survive through all this chaos, I wonder what other living creatures could just posits that question. 
So then we flash to see what uh, just this terrifying alien has been doing with Mando. And it's nothing good, but I guess he's harvesting his blood because he needs biological fluids to keep himself operating. I don't know. It was sketchy. He's got this relic of like a pump droid going who didn't seem to want to be doing it, to be fair. Again, but, this is just yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. I didn't even have that as a like a droid. I thought it was just like a whole other machine going, but he hits you know, it. He smacks it like it's a droid. Yeah, you know? that's yeah. that is funny. And that's exactly what I got. That fluid that his organic eye uh, was floating in. Yep. I assume that's what that was. Dude, this was just a dark episode, man. It was just absolutely really did not expect this angle from the Mandalorian. I think. I mean, we've had a couple like kind of scarier like even when the mudhorn back in the day going through the cave before we found it or whatever you know it was a little scary but this was by far in a way i love this angle if they keep doing these kinds of episodes i'm i love it for sure i feel like the scariest creature we've seen is that spider on the ice planet that was a yeah that was, that was it that's yeah. what it was yes that's what the it frog was. lady episode <laughs> though was the definition of a filler episode. <laughs> as much as we loved frog lady and we're talking about it now that was like okay how many of these do we need yeah but yeah so bo katan arrives on the scene and she's trying to go at this alien with pistols and alien has a lightning gun which trumps pistols so what are you gonna do well the dark saber's on the ground trumps trumps that trumps so. trumps everything i'll tell you that much <laughs> right now but she's whipping that thing around like she like she was knows it, how to is use anybody it. else pitching a tent at this moment you know was, <laughs> i was pretty was sweet cool. It was yeah. so badass. She she wielded it so easily. Again, it just brings up like just the whole question of how like why was Din struggling with it? Was it because you know it's calling to her? It's meant to be in her hands. She it was supposed to be you know inherited by her long ago, once upon a time ago. So just so many questions here. I mean, she just made it look so easy. She took that thing down with fucking well, no trouble. Did you just say she used to wield it? No, 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 I'm just saying like... So we did know that Moff Gideon dropped that quote last season. He said it used to belong to Bo-Katan. Hmm. And that's all we know. So she has had it in her possession before. Okay. The circumstances around it, I don't know. And that kind of brings <laughs> goes back into what you were saying with has she like trained for wielding it or and maybe she had trained with it by wielding it in the past against something, but I don't know. It's just... Who, what is going to happen with the outcome of who is going to be wielding the Darksaber? I have no idea. So it also begs the question, Bo-Katan keeps Mando alive for a lot of this episode. Is that because she is a friend of him and wants to keep him alive? Is it because she is following the Mandalorian Creed, which she has already said she doesn't 100% follow? Or is it because she cannot rightfully claim the Darksaber unless she fair and square beats Din Djarin in a fight and he can't fight her if he's dead that's honestly what I was getting like when she first saw Grogu in the cockpit and was like oh Din's in trouble yeah she's like all right yo let's go save him because he has the saber like I need that in order to rule right because like otherwise like, why would you go save him you're absolutely right because if hypothetically if he what if he got bested while you know Grogu's rescuing or trying to get rescue from Bo Katan? Then, well, 
she well, might, maybe he already did get bested. See, that okay, was yeah, my yeah. question. So it's okay. very technical, too. You're right. What are absolutely. They Is that like transitive property? Like he was yeah. bested by the alien who was bested by Bo-Katan. Therefore, Bo-Katan bested Mando. Yeah, but like exactly. hypothetically, I'm saying, though, if like, yeah, he did get bested by the alien and then the alien was the one wielding it. But like yeah. and then the alien took off with it. Then <laughs> Bo-Katan has no connection at all to the Darksaber again. So at least when it's with Mando, she can at least keep a tab on it. Whereas if it's with anyone else, it's completely lost to her. That little robot organism thing, that, he was the ruler of Mandalore for a little bit. As <laughs> Mandalore, as, as far as for I'm a concerned. hot second, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you can argue about what it means to best somebody in battle or something like that, but Mando got scooped, and he um, he was pretty much incapacitated. And as soon as I saw like that little droid thing pull out Mando's blaster and then the dark saber and throw it to the side. I was like, Bo Katan is going to show us how it's done. And boy, does she. Then I think also at this, I can, we'll get there again when we get there. But I think the scene at the end also implies that Bo Katan has more of a following than even she realizes. And so that's going to play a whole aspect into whether or not I think she's going to have the dark saber or not by the end of the series. So I will get so into hard that conversation say. at yeah. the end. Uh, however, much like an Elden Ring boss battle, this fight has two phases. Nice. Yeah. Phase two, she whoops up on him again with the dark saber, but he would have got him if Din wasn't just like behind you, which I, I like the anxiety was rising during that scene. Whoops him up again with the dark saber, and then Mando passes out, and we return to Din kind of coming to up near the surface of Sundari with Bo-Katan heating up some pog, POG soup with Grogu, and he's just like, Oh, what happened? Like, she's like, hey, I saved your ass. That's what happened. And then they kind of just start talking about the history of Mandalore, and he's like, Oh, it's not cursed. Like you said, like we can do things now and she says look around it is cursed she has a much more pessimistic view on the outlook of mandalore whereas he is very much elbow deep in the i am mandalorian stick by the creed we can rebuild this bitch um i think this also goes into you know him never having seen mandalore at its peak i'm sure what she's picturing is you know what you were talking about just a second ago with it being absolutely flourishing and to her, I think getting back to that exact point is what's, you know, impossible. But for him, he's never seen it really. So he doesn't really know what to go off of. As long as there's Mandalorians here, then the city, then the planet itself will be thriving, you know? Um, And she does drop also here. I'm not sure if we got confirmation that she ruled Mandalore for a hot second. I mean, we could have connected those dots, but she does. And I quote, it was a great society, now a memory. I once ruled here for a brief time. Yeah, so she says, all right, let's you rest up and then we'll leave. And he says, no, 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 I got to do this thing. We're here. I got to bathe in the living waters, become a Mandalorian. And she tries to mock his faith again. And he says, what are we without the creed? Like, you saved my life and I'm indebted to you. But like, I got to complete the mission here. So she agrees to help him locate the living waters um, and Again, this is just another lore drop as they're walking through Sundari, so I'm going to have the quote right here. It wasn't that long ago that this was a bustling city of Mandalorians. The Empire set out to punish us and wipe away our memory. What pains me is seeing our own kind fighting each other time and time again, killing each other for reasons too confusing to explain. It made us weak. 
we had no hope to resist being smashed by the fist of the empire. And what she's referencing there is what I was talking about last episode, how there was a split in the ideology of the Mandalorians. One stuck to the creed, if you will, and the others kind of became a little bit more laxed and pacifist. Um, And Bo-Katan lands somewhere in the middle of all that. She's played much like the Vicky Mendoza diagonal. She plays hopscotch with that thing. She plays jump rope with it. I'm sorry, Paul. You were grinding your teeth for me to get that right. I was just so happy you had that reference in there. (laughs) I can't be that mad. Um, But yeah, she has kind of been back and forth, played both sides, and she has relations that fall on the extremes of either side of the aisle. So Bo-Katan is a great character to have in this series to just kind of be a history book for us um, as we kind of learn about Mandalore ourselves, to be honest. But anything to jump in there? I'm sorry. It was a lot of just talking. No, I mean that's that's all it was was one big long conversations and yeah. and she did drop the line at one point where she said, "Yeah, like I recited the creed, like I wore the armor in front of the people because the people ate it up." Yeah. But but then like, you know, I I made my my dad proud because I never disappointed him in front of the people or something like that. So we knew she didn't have the easiest upbringing. And I think that is a reason why she looks at Din and his in his religion as you know a bunch of children's stories because she was in all of it did all of the ceremony-esque things rituals but she never really believed in it so i want to ask your guys impression she says i never disappointed my dad in front of the people did you get the impression that her dad was more of like a din sort of mandalorian where he was a traditional like helmet on at all times and she just kind of split from those beliefs or did you think that he kind of uh guided her towards that reasoning herself um that's funny i didn't really think of it i i kind of assumed that her father was along the same lines of her mindset as okay just don't upset the people you know by you keep these rituals in line and make sure the people see it so they do the same rituals and have the same mindset um kind of like i don't know like government royalty and and how they can just in the public eye be good and then go behind scenes and just be scumbags i think when i first heard it for the first time i assumed him to be i think i still take it as like he is kind of in the middle still but definitely more so on the side of being passive i guess if you want to call it but still following somewhat to a degree of the creed maybe he did take his helmet off but like still respected the fact that he should wear it in public around other people kind of thing it is really hard to say but maybe because he did waver on both sides maybe Bo-Katan saw it because he was you know so into the creed maybe that's what caused his downfall or that's what killed him is because he stuck to the creed a little bit and then that's why maybe Bo-Katan has such a hatred for for those people that follow the creed in that direction and Again, hard to say, but that would maybe be my mindset on it right now. I don't know too much about her father. Uh, I So with that said, I got the impression that he was more of a quote unquote traditionalist than she was for sure, like definitely farther that way. Yeah. Um, but she had a lot of respect for him, said he was a great man. So I'm sure behind closed doors, he let her follow her own ideologies and didn't mm-hmm. like really enforce them on her except to keep up appearances but yeah the way she talked about him seemed like she did have a respect for him but maybe 
did something stupid in her eyes towards the end of whatever his reign was or his life. And that's kind of like, she has definitely some, you know, conflicting feelings about her father. It feels like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also worth saying she had an awesome, like little light droid that she just like let fly out. Yeah. Reminded me of Lumos from Harry Potter. Not the (laughs) same at all, but you know, lights still lights. Yeah. You know, lights (laughs) Uh, light Yagami. Oh yeah. Jimmy just Mm -hmm. finished. Yes, he did. Shout out Death Note. Um, but yeah, she says uh, her father died defending Mandalore. And what else can you say other than this is the way? Right. Nice. That is Loved the way. It. Yeah. That was a very heartfelt. This is the way. Absolutely. He's, he stopped walking, too. I mean, I thought I thought I, I took that a long way rather than him just keep walking. And he was genuinely surprised by that. And then to hit it to. And she, I think, even too, took the reception of this is the way is like he does really care and meant his words. I'll tell you what, I think this episode was very good for Bo-Katan's impression of Din overall. I think she gained a lot of respect. And while she still pokes fun at like how devout he is to his faith, I think like she's starting to or rather he is starting to chip away at the walls that she has put up. And I feel like there are some points like right here when he just hit her with a, this is the way and walked away where she was just left like, damn, like I, I kind of appreciate this guy and what he's bringing to the table. And, you know, at the end of the day, she is a Mandalorian. She like rides or dies for them. So she just wants what's best, excuse me, wants what's best for her people and her planet. And I think she sees that Din is, you know, more even though he does, even at the beginning, like season one, episode one, like he stuck to the creed, didn't care anything about anyone else, just did what he had to do to survive. But she also is seeing the progression of him becoming switching from that to someone who is now opening up to even droids like he hated droids for the longest yeah. period of time. And now he's had two at his side who have both, you know, proven their worth to him. And, you know, he's obviously the father of Grogu. So I think she sees that he is a much more flexible Mandalorian than maybe she herself is because she has that hatred too. maybe, you know, that creed side. And I think late, late down the road, when we decide on who's getting the dark saber, this whole aspect of maybe Din being a little bit more flexible is going to push more in favor of him wielding the dark saber, even in her eyes as well. Like maybe right now she's still too stubborn to see that, but I think late, late game, she would recognize that. Okay. Din is someone that both people can follow. So as they're continuing through in the conversation, they arrive at the living waters of Mandalore and she's like, oh, I want to give you the full tour. So she reads from the plaque and the plaque says these mines date back to the age of the first Mandalorians. According to ancient folklore, the living waters were once a mythosaur layer. Mandalore the Great was said to have tamed the mythical beast. It is from these legends that the skull symbol was adopted and became the symbol of our planet. So, yeah. And as she's saying that, Din starts stripping off and he's bathing in the water and he is once again swearing by the creed. And this is one of those moments. I feel like Bo-Katan just had like an out-of-body experience watching him do this. It was like a lifeline back to her face. She's like, Mm -hmm. damn, this is a very powerful moment. What's going on? Seeing like a pure Mandalorian who truly believes in it engage in this like religious experience. I think she was feeling something here. I was getting that exact same vibes, Brian. I totally, I mean, she was almost in awe of watching this rebirth, right? She was like, wow, I thought this was like going to be stupid. Like him splashing water, but like, this is, this is revolutionary for him. Um, And she come, she's like getting caught up 
for the moment. And then, of course, you get swooped under like the freaking uh, Luke out of the, the trash compactor back in A New yeah. Hope. <laughs> Good reference. But yeah, I mean, he, he does get swallowed under and there's not much to it. Bo-Katan gives chase jetpacks down. I love these jetpacks and Bo-Katan's oh, yeah. jetpack just seems even stronger. I didn't know they worked underwater. Whatever. She goes down, finds him at the bottom in the sand. And then as they're ascending back up, you know, she shines the light and makes eye contact with the fucking mythosaur. So that thing was sick, by the way, that thing looks we're so back in cool. play, baby. Dude, and I was just I was just talking about how like Din could be the leader of, you know, Mandalore. Maybe she gets a respect for him. But right here we see that the mythosaurs, you know, even she didn't realize she had control over them. But clearly they respect her as the leader of Mandalore, I think. And whoa, 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 whoa. Are we talking <laughs> she has control jump. over that? thing? Maybe not I control. Mean... Sorry, but I think they just recognize her definitely as like the rightful heir of Mandalore. I, I think that's a. Two very far away dots to connect, Paul. Jump really? In. What do you I think. Th- um, well, one, we did see the her jetpack underwater last season for a split second You're right. when You're she right. saved. Yep. Um, <laughs> there, I know somebody was going to correct us, so I just had You're, to put that out yeah, there. Yeah, good stuff. Mythosaur, just absolutely so cool, so insane. Um, I'm thinking, you know, what did Qui Gon Jinn teach us in Phantom Menace? There's always a bigger fish. So I was waiting, <laughs> waiting for something, and, I, and then you see that, and I'm like, I don't know if there's gonna be a bigger fish than that. I mean, first of all, it's not even like a fucking fish; it's a goddamn dinosaur. I think she's in, right? Like, she's like, oh my god, I thought this was like a myth or like not real. Like, I thought it was a children's story, like she was saying. So now she, you were talking about reeling her back into her quote unquote faith, Brian. Yeah, I mean, between all of what happened to her watching Mando, and then and then this, you know shattering her her mindset of what she thought was real i mean i feel like she could be like holy shit like i i'm totally in i'm never taking my fucking mask off again like you're never gonna see my face like i'm i'm all in it's it was really 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 cool well and i guess now we can jump into this conversation about the dark saber who's going to be the leader it's uh, with Bo-Katan, I mean, she can tell that leadership and all of these things are coming far more naturally falling into place for Din, not her. If she wants to assume leadership, it would be because she fights tooth and nail and takes it from him. And at what point do you kind of step aside, look at this guy, Din Djarin, who earned the Darksaber by defeating Moff Gideon, who was the guy that destroyed the planet of Mandalore? Dave, you were saying the Mythosaur just chose Bo-Katan. Is that the eye contact what symbolized choosing? Or was it snatching Din out of the water and bringing him down and gently placing him on the on the seafloor? Was that the choosing of it? It's all very ambiguous. Both of them have claim to the throne. She has that royal last name. But at the end of the day, how much weight does a last name carry if you don't have like the legit dark saber earned the right way so it's for me That's, i i want to see bo katan kind of step aside and embraced in and i feel like after this experience if she's reconnecting with the faith she she might have that what i know about the character and her fiery personality i think we need some more time before she's ready to accept those terms but i think listen i agree with everything both of you said like i completely agree that i think she's definitely seeing some changes going on within herself about you know wanting or respecting 
din and the creed and everything like that i completely agree but for some reason for me it just felt like again this is going to be just complete tinfoil hat hat just thrown out a theory but you know we were talking earlier about din maybe not being worthy of the dark saber maybe the dark saber didn't see him as being worthy and maybe i'm thinking at the same time maybe this mythosaur also sees him as not worthy and so when he hops in the water it, it does take a chance at attacking him trying to maybe kill him or something but when Bo-Katan goes down and rescues him i think the mythosaur sees like okay this is actually a friend of someone that i respect or you know i'm looking to for guidance so i personally took it as just the mythosaur especially the eye contact that the mythosaur looked at Bogotan was like you are the chosen one that's how i took it to be honest so and that plays into where i don't know who's going to be wielding the dark saber i really have no idea brian you got me thinking by saying maybe the mythosaur, mythosaur chose din by but sucking yeah, him ag- under agreed like, agreed like i you, didn't even i didn't even think a... about that but now it's a total possibility because like they said bathe in the waters of mandalore and maybe the definition of a bath with them is getting sucked off by the mythosaur <laughs> all the way down low sucked yeah. down not sucked off um the mile below club <laughs> there that's you awesome. go that's fucking awesome <laughs> so uh, that could totally be a thing um but if i'm completely honest when i finished the episode I was still unsure. I was like, I'm pretty sure it was a mythosaur that sucked Din under, but like, was it 100%? Because he seemed pretty passive when when um, Bo-Katan went by. So I'm still like not 100% sure that that's what grabbed Din. But I, I want to say, you know, there was nothing else in there that we saw. Oh, you were saying something could have grabbed him and then Bo-Katan separately had the encounter with the mythosaur? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I Hey, I love it. Um, and again, I I was just kind of playing devil's advocate. Of course, mm-hmm. I want our boy Din to be like the guy on top. The guy, but yeah. at the same time, he has rejected leadership responsibilities and kind of wants Bo-Katan to be the guy. Like he doesn't want that. So like in an ideal world, it would all work out perfectly. She would be the leader and he would just be his muscle still getting to be full-time dad of Grogu. Like that's, that's endgame for me. But you know where we're at right now flip a coin i mean it's anybody's guess yeah I'm- honestly i wasn't like crazy like i thought bo was definitely a badass like we knew this already but she was mm-hmm. you know kind of a biatch a little bit especially to our boy din but this episode really for me made her feel like she definitely has her flaws but there are they, they are there for her uh for a reason Love and that. She, I think her. I actually am now liking her as a character, whereas maybe in the past I've only respected her for her skills, but now I actually like her as a character a lot. And like I said at the beginning of the pod, I was absolutely blown away by seeing her again. I didn't think we were going to see her again at least until the end of the season, but to just get her right back into it and especially fighting, this was I was all in on this episode. It was one of my favorites all time, definitely. Love that, Paul. I think this was off the top of my head my favorite episode. I just Luke Skywalker episode. Yeah, come on, the Luke Skywalker episode was so. Okay, we're, that mo- we're, yeah, we're all playing best. for second best. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're right. The, that's the that's the only one though that comes to mind when I think of like favorite Mando. Ah, the Mudhorn episode was really good too with Grogu. Yeah. I like that one. I, I don't I think I personally could loved. Be- with Bill Burr when they infiltrated the Empire yeah. base, that yeah. was a great episode. That was a great one too. Yeah. It's Paul's favorite episode, though. No, it's not. It's certainly not. I mean, nothing will beat that Luke Skywalker moment. But this episode, without a doubt, 
I mean, top three. I won't d- define yeah, it as number yeah. two. How about yeah. that? It's just so good. And I'm so excited for the rest of the season because I thought this was Endgame. And now that we've got this literally the next episode, I have no idea where this yeah. is like headed. So, he, I mean, he, hell yeah. What? He's just going to go. I guess he's got to go back to the armor smith or the armor or whatever her name is and tell her but uh, you gotta let the mandalorians know that the planet is hospitable and then they're gonna come flying back we gotta rebuild this civilization flood it up let's go yeah then that might lead to do you think we're gonna get like political issues like hey we're political baby (laughs) oh i'm not oh we're getting political i am ready i am ready you can't (laughs) rain you, you don't rain over us anymore because like like the planet's gonna be split. I don't even know. I can't even possibly. Put it <laughs> I think it's it might be like a Avatar, um, like the blue people of the first movie, where you know he he gets that big flying beast and all the people respect them. So like maybe mm-hmm. between the dark saber and the mythosaur, people are just gonna be like, you know what? I'm not even gonna argue with you. You're fucking. You're, you're the champion. You're the you, champ. you roll over everybody. Oh, can't wait. Let's get it. Yeah. So I I just want to leave us with the armorer provided us with two prophecies, either in Book of Boba or last episode, whatever. Number one, whoever wields the Darksaber can lead all of Mandalore. Sign sealed delivered. Our boys got that checkbox checked. And number two, the songs of Eon's past foretold of the Mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore. So he was just taking a nap. Just let's, a nap. let's go. Just a little sleepy boy. That's all that is. But yeah, that's going to be a wrap on chapter 17, season three, episode two of The Mandalorian. It was a great episode. Coincidentally, sitting at an 8.6 on IMDb, which is a pretty that's, good rating for the episode. Should be higher, honestly. It was 8.8 this morning. I, it's going to stabilize closer to nine. I have faith. Uh, the Luke Skywalker was a 9.8. So, you know. Yeah. Like, come on. This was at love. least a 9.2. If you're going like off a scale like that. At it least. was a good episode. Yeah. And it has officially been covered by Finchtown TV as of right now. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Finchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BinchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, YouTube, the Apple podcast app or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.